in 2020. We've been talking about extending our reach in 2020. And so we are here back again one more Sunday as we are to celebrate in God's word. And I am particularly excited about this specific sermon. The text that we are coming from today is still focusing on how Jesus could immediately transform the lives of those people who were around him. In fact, you remember the last two weeks we've talked about how Jesus and his conversation with Nicodemus completely transformed the life of Nicodemus, how the gospel took complete shape and hold on his life. Remember, we've also looked at the woman at the well, and we've also looked at the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And we've looked at how these conversations that Jesus has with these people, how these encounters that he has with these people ends up transcending their lives in a way that perhaps they weren't expecting. I think throughout all these texts that we've gone through in this sermon series, I think more than anything I want you to see is that we must look at how Jesus addressed all the various people in their different types of sin, all the various types of sinners, and all the various ways they found themselves in different, different situations. Being able to effectively share the gospel means that we must be able to approach people holistically, in the way that Jesus Christ himself would have approached them. That means there is no one-off approach to evangelism, but we must meet people in the various aspects of their lives, no matter where they may be. We must be willing to get down into whatever dirt we need to get down into to shape ourselves in whatever way we need to shape ourselves in order to see that people are saved and transformed by the gospel. Now, today we're going to look at a particular man, and it's actually one of my favorite passages of scriptures, one of my favorite passages of scriptures. We're going to look at a man who, who is coming to Jesus, or rather, I think Jesus here is coming to him. And when Jesus comes to him, this man thinks that he needs physical healing, and, and he does. But I think what we're going to learn today is that although he needed physical healing, there was a much more deeper healing that this man needed than just being physically healed. Through his encounter with Jesus, he would come to see that Jesus was more than just a glorified miracle worker, but he came to see Jesus as his savior. And that brings us to our text today. We're still in the book of John. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred, stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. 
And we're dropping down to verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Let's thank God for the reading of the word. So we are all probably somewhat familiar with this scripture. In fact, some of us have probably jokingly said, take up your bed and walk. So we are all somewhat probably familiar with what's going on here. And in fact, I've actually preached not here, but I've actually preached this text before. Now, I will be the first to admit that when I did preach it, I was younger and I probably preached it poorly. In fact, I know I preached it poorly. And so now, did I get a good response from the sermon? Sure, but I think one of the mistakes that, that I make and that preachers make and that even Bible readers make is that we look at a text and we immediately take what immediately pays a closer attention to our lives, what immediately jumps off at our lives. But we must look at Scripture the way that it was written. Why did John write it? To whom did he write it? And what did God intend for it when it was written? And so that's one of the things that we want to do when we look at this sermon today. We look at this passage of Scripture is figure out why did John write it? And why does Jesus have this specific encounter? Now, you'll notice that we are here at the Pool of Bethesda. And at this particular pool, as it's described, there are five different roofs. There are five different porches there. And I can imagine that all of the people in these various porches are gathering all there, hoping that they can get some kind of handout provided to them. In fact, I'll probably give you the best imagery I possibly can if you want to know what this looks like. I personally have spent a lot of time with various individuals at Lynn Park. And if you've ever seen what happens at Lynn Park on Saturdays and Sundays, you know that there are usually hundreds of people who all gather there and they wait for people to bring them food, to bring them clothing, to bring them different things. And so when we think of what's happening here at the Pool of Bethesda, that's probably the best imagery that we have in today as to what is actually happening here. It was the hub where all the people who had a great need, whether it was an infirmity, whether it was poverty, whatever the case was, all those people came down there with the hopes of their situation, with the hopes that their condition would be healed. Now, you may think that they were all there together because they thought Jesus was going to be there, but that's not the case. This is where they always spent their time. These people are always here and they're spending a particular amount of time here because there's an urban myth about what happens in this pool. Now, if you read that from your own Bible, you probably have noticed that it jumps from verse three to verse five. There is no verse four there. Now, the reason that is, is because in the earliest manuscripts, that verse isn't there. But later on, scribes added it. Now, I can tell you what verse four says. Verse four says that the angels would come down and they would stir the water for the healing of the people. Now, that verse was probably added sometime later after John actually wrote this, not to take anything away from scripture, but to offer us some context on what they meant by the stirring of the water. What they were expecting is that the angels would come down at some point during the day and when they would stir that water, it would stir up the red clay that was at the bottom of that pool and it would bring about healing for the people who were there. 
Now, I think that we all probably realize that if they're coming there every day, that that probably never really happened. And at some point, I think they all probably realize that that's just an urban myth. There's not anything really happening. But they probably did notice something. They noticed that by coming there every day, people began to take pity on them. People began to give them things that normally they would have had to work for if they were able to work for it. And so now they can kind of sit here and be handed out the various things that they need. Now, we understand that all of these people are riddled with various different types of diseases. And there are many people there, hundreds, possibly even thousands there. Yet Jesus approaches one man. Of all the people who are there, Jesus skips past all of those other people to get to one man. And that is the first point of today's sermon, actually, is that Jesus focuses on this man. Jesus focuses on this man. In a, in a crowd of people everywhere who are all in desperate needs of all types of healing, Jesus seemingly ignores all of them just so he can get to this one man. Now, we must realize what's actually happening here. There are all probably men and women everywhere who we would probably describe as easier cases to heal. I've heard of these modern day healers who claim to have the apostolic authority of the apostles who claim to be healed. But one of the things that I've always heard people say when they go to these these clinics, when they go to these sermons, whenever they go to these these encounters, that the people who have the real conditions, the paraplegics and the quadriplegics and the blind, they always kind of shuffle them off to the side and then they get the people with the crutches, they get the people with the pains, they get the people, the things that we can't really verify that they actually have, but they push these people to the side, you know, the ones with the real infirmities. See, they always report when they come back that they never actually saw a person with a verifiable infirmity healed. Why? Because those people are not real healers. Now, we take note that Jesus does the complete opposite of what people do today. He doesn't just go find the easiest person that he can find. He doesn't just find the person that no one can verify. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus goes to the crowd and he gets the most easily recognized man in the crowd and he heals him. Why do we know that this man is the easiest recognized? Well, John goes out of his way to let us know that this particular man has been paralyzed for 38 years. That tells me that not only John, but the entire community knew that this man, whatever condition he had had, had been around for 38 years. That means not only did John know, but everybody else around knew that this was what paralyzed Paul, who had been in this condition for such a long time. And people all knew that his condition was real and that it was legitimate. John makes an emphasis. He makes a point 
to point out the length of this man's infirmity in this text. Now, though this to us seems like a random man, to those people, this certainly wouldn't have been a random man. They knew exactly who he was, and they all knew that for almost 40 years he had been in this condition. Now, when we see that Jesus arrives, the Bible says that Jesus knew that he had already been there a long time. Now, the Bible here doesn't tell us how long that he has been in that condition. I don't think we should speculate, but it says that Jesus knew. Now, this isn't just that Jesus had heard or that Jesus knew this man but this is the supernatural knowledge that Jesus has as God in the flesh. He knew that that particular man had been at that porch waiting for that pool for an extended period of time. But we can see here that what Jesus knows is, is quite pertinent to how we see Jesus address this man. And that very quickly brings us to point two, and we're going to stay on this one for a while. Jesus and the controversial question. Jesus and the controversial question. Look at what the Bible says here. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, Jesus sees this man. He knows his condition and he even knows how long he has been here. Yet somehow he still finds it appropriate to ask what I think we would all probably say is a pretty offensive question. Jesus finds this man and he says to him, do you even want to be healed? Now, I would argue that in 2020, Jesus definitely could not get away with asking this question because we are in the cancel culture. They would have canceled Jesus on the spot because that is an offensive question for Jesus to ask. But he asked it. And I think through all of our time in scripture, especially in the book of John, we have noticed that Jesus has a particular method that he works. He has a way in which he works. He has full supernatural knowledge of this man. He is God in the flesh. He knows everything. And we've done this before. Why does Jesus ask questions by which he already knows the answer to? I think at this point that we have probably learned that Jesus always asks questions so that the person who is answering can really find out about who they are. I think Jesus also asks these questions so that when we as the reader take note of these questions, we can wonder as well why Jesus would ask a question. But this one is a little different. Not only does he ask a question and we must reconcile that. Why is Jesus, who has full supernatural knowledge, asking a question? We must also wonder why is he asking such an offensive question? Of all the questions he could have asked, why are you here? What caused this? You know, does it hurt? Of anything that he could have asked, what can I do for you? He doesn't. He asks him what is probably the most obvious question. The question that he probably shouldn't have even had to ask. Do you want to be healed? Listen, this is always what Jesus does. We remember when Jesus comes to the woman at the well, he asks her, where is your husband? That's an offensive question, I would say. 
when Jesus sees the disciples are congregating and he says, who do men say that I am? We remember that even when Jesus comes to the woman with the issue of blood and she touches the hem of his garment, having full knowledge of who touched him, he turns around and he asks, who touched me? Jesus has this trend by which he asks people the obvious question so that he can get out of them the answer that, that they need. And so now we see him ask here, do you want to be healed? I was watching and listening to a sermon or a testimony at Grace Community Church, that's John MacArthur's church in California, and there was a woman there who was giving her testimony and in fact, she testified about how she had gone to all of these various retreats, all the ones that we see that Benny Hinn does and various others. And she talked about how she would go to these things all the time. And she was a quadriplegic now. And she would go to all these events and yet she remained unhealed. In fact, she said whenever she would go, they would take her and they would put her in a particular category away from everybody else because that's not the kind of miracle they were trying to perform. This woman, at the point of her testimony, had been a quadriplegic for 48 years, 10 years longer than this man. And she said that whenever she would tell people about how desperate she was to be healed of her physical condition, people always told her that the only reason that she wasn't healed was because she lacked faith. Now, I don't know what's more offensive, asking a person if they want to be healed or telling a person that the reason they aren't healed is because they don't believe hard enough. But this is what she was being told. For years, she prayed that God would heal her, but he never did. She then spoke about an occasion where her husband sat up on the side of the bed with his head down. He said, I can't do this. She asked him, what do you mean? He said, I can't do this. This is, this is too much for me. This is too overwhelming for me. Now, instead of responding with great empathy and compassion, she rather responded, what do you mean you can't do it? What do you think I have to deal with every day? I am overwhelmed by this condition, and you knew what you were marrying when you married me. Now, after she said that, she said that she immediately recalled and said, you know what, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that at all, and that is not who I really am. But in her testimony, she said that wasn't true. She said she did mean it. And that was exactly who she was. And then she said in that moment, for the first time, her heart spoke, and it spoke out loud. And then she realized that the physical healing that she had been praying for was not compared to the spiritual healing that she needed in her heart. She realized that everything that was wrong with her, she blamed on her physical condition, but it was her heart that needed to be healed. When Jesus comes to this man, he is not as concerned about what has brought him to the pool as much as he is concerned about what has kept him at the pool. 
I think that's the interesting point here. Now, again, we cannot speculate how long he has been here because we do not know. But we do know that the way Jesus speaks to him is that he has been here long enough to have been placed in the pool by now. So why does Jesus ask him this question? Well, I believe that he asked him this question and it's twofold. For this man, physical healing would have cut him off. See, if he becomes healed and healthy and whole, that means that he can no longer stay at the side of that pool and receive the handouts that people were so graciously giving him. And so at some point, he realized that being broken was better than being healed. In fact, this reminds me that when I had some parakeets when I was younger, every time I would just open up the cage and I'd go, go, be free, they would always return back to the cage because sometimes freedom comes at a great cost for us. This past week in Bible study, we discussed about how even when the Israelites were freed, they said we were better off in captivity and we would rather die as captives than die as free people. Sometimes freedom comes at a great cost for us all. In fact, it is no different than what we see in our society today. In my time that I've spent at Lynn Park, I've befriended one particular man and I'd had a conversation with him and he specifically told me that he gets $700 a month from disability and he says, you know, I could work, but I really don't want to lose my disability. And he told me, he said, you know, when I get too much money in my account, I have to like spend it so that the government doesn't audit it so that I don't lose the money that's in my account. Yet every Saturday and every Sunday, that man faithfully made his way to Lynn Park and freely received all the handouts that the people gave him. That is no different. That is what, it, that, what is happening to this man. Now, I will tell you this, and this is not some politically motivated statement at all. But the Bible makes it clear for those of us who can contribute. We must contribute for those of us who can. We must so that he is honored through us. Now, that's one reason Jesus is asking this man a question. Are you actually willing to be healed and to be considered a regular contributor to society? Are you willing to pay that cost? That is one very real aspect of this question. Now. He isn't asking that for himself, but Jesus is asking it to the man so that he can see himself truly for the first time. In fact, I would tell you this is that I think all of us in our own lives can probably look at different ways and look at our past experience and look at our hurt and look at whatever has affected us. And we may blame those things on who we are until those things are stripped away. All of those things are healed and we're left to reconcile with nobody else but our own hearts. This was my own personal testimony that everything up until the first 14 years of my life, I blamed on my dad until my dad came back into my life. He was a wonderful Christian man. And I realized everything that was wrong with me was not him. It was me. 
and I could no longer blame the condition on my condition. We must all reconcile that in our own lives. I believe, though, the second aspect of this question is that Jesus is obviously redirecting this man to where he really needs to be healed. He said, look, yeah, you want physical healing, but when he's asking him, do you want to be healed, he is not just talking about his legs. He is talking about his heart, which is the true healing that he needs. Whatever was in the heart of this man did not necessarily cause his infirmity. I want to make that clear. So I'm not saying he's a, he's a paraplegic because of his infirmity, because of his sin. But it is absolutely the condition of his heart that has made him content with being where he was in life. Just like our dear sister that I just spoke about, he needed healing in his heart more than anything. Now, how do, how do we know that he really needed healing in his heart? How do I know that I'm not just speculating? Because his heart spoke. A pastor that I served under used to always tell me, Brandon, if you talk to people long enough, their heart will speak. Let's listen to what his heart says. Now, Jesus asked him, why do you want to be healed? Or do you want to be healed? He doesn't ask him, why aren't you in the pool? He asked him, do you want to be healed? Now, the obvious answer should have been, yes, of course I want to be healed. I need to be healed. I desire to be healed. But that's not what he said. When Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Listen to his heart. Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another step down before me. Well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't ask you why you aren't in the pool, why you aren't healed. He asked you, do you want to be healed? Notice how the man passively ignores the question that Jesus actually asked. He immediately starts making excuses for the condition that he is in. Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed, and he doesn't even say yes. He said, nobody puts me in the pool. They walk over me. They step over me. Now we see his heart. This man is blaming his condition on the people around him. They had nothing to do with his condition, yet he said, but it's their fault I'm not healed. They haven't put me in, and they step over me. Now, in other ways, in another way to look at it, I think we all should look at our own selves and remember when we were in sin and know that that is a sure sign of sin when we blame others for where we are in life. What is he saying? He's saying, I am not responsible for the condition that I am in, they are. It's not me. I'm not responsible. They're responsible. That has been every single one of us when we were insolent opponents to God. We never wanted to be responsible for our own sin condition. But you don't know where I was raised and you don't know how I was raised and you don't know what happened to me and you don't know how it affected me. And no, I don't know. But I do know that the gospel can save you from all of that. 
and that Jesus is greater than any hurt, any affliction, any pain, any shame, any guilt you have experienced in your life. The cross ended all of that. And we must believe that. Now, it is his heart that needs healing. Is Jesus asking him about his physical condition? Yes, but only by default. He's really asking him about his spirit. Remember how Jesus answered the question that Nicodemus never asked? Here he is asking this man the question he doesn't want to answer. How am I so convinced, however, that Jesus isn't just talking about physical healing here? Well, let's look at scripture. Let's figure out what scripture says that Jesus came to do. In Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Those are our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. That is not talking about a physical condition. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. When we were transgressing transgressing God, he was pierced for that. He was crushed because of our sins, because of our iniquities. And it is because of the wounds that he has on the cross, we are healed. What are we healed from? The greatest disease that we all have suffered from, which is sin. That is the most debilitating condition that any of us have. It is sin. The Bible makes it clear here that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has healed us from our worst condition of sin. See, when Jesus tells him, simply, get up, take up your bed and walk, Jesus is challenging this man. Now, we'll see in other times when Jesus heals people, he says, see, or he says, open your eyes, stretch out your hand, go show yourself to the priest. He gives them one instruction, but he gives this man two. He tells him, get up. That's the first thing. You're healed. Get up. He could have stopped there. But then he says, take up your bed and walk. Leave away from this pool. Your condition has changed. Whatever you were getting from being in this condition has changed. Get up. Walk. Go away from here. You are no longer the same. He didn't just change his legs, but he changed his heart as well. See, he says, you have made a bed based off of your condition, but I am changing your condition. Listen, this is what Jesus does to all of us who come to him. But more importantly, what I also want you to see is more than you see yourself in this. And and I know I see myself here. This is also emblematic of many of the people that we're going to have encounters with. When we are sharing the gospel as we are commanded to, when we are witnessing to people as we are commanded to, 
Many people are going to be like this man. They're going to attempt to disguise the condition of their hearts. And they're going to want to cover it up with sympathy or sadness. But Jesus knows all. He sees beyond that. And with this man, he addresses his true need. Just this past week, I promise you, it's like the Lord puts these things in my week so that they can come in these sermons. I was talking to a student and this particular student walked out of the lunchroom without permission. And so I went out there as I'm wont to do. I'm very, very matter of fact. I said, hey, I'm writing you up. And I just went and sat back down. I said, come back. I'm writing you up. And when he came back up, his response wasn't, well, I'm sorry for walking out. He said, you're going to write me up for going to get food? That's what he said to me. He said, I don't have anything to eat but strawberries, and you're going to write me up for going to get food. I said, no, I'm not writing you up because you're hungry. I'm writing you up because you disobey the rules. You see, he wanted me to only see that his condition was the reason that he left. And in fact, I asked him, I said, why are you getting written up? He said, because I'm hungry. I said, no, you're not. You're getting written up because you disobeyed. He could not use his condition to mask what the real problem was. And even in that situation, that was a hard issue. He wanted to be absolved from guilt. And so he took his situation. He said, but you you don't know how hungry I am. And all I have is strawberries. And I'm sorry, son, but that doesn't excuse sin. With us in our own lives, no matter how desperate we may be, no matter how afflicted we may be, no matter how affected we may be, it never excuses sin in our lives. Never. Because Jesus trumps every sin condition we will ever possibly face. See, we can't blame our state and disregard the truth because we have a problem. That's just not how it works. Medicine cannot heal the problem that sin has caused. Medicine cannot heal the problem that sin has caused. And no, I'm not saying if you have any kind of physical condition that you don't need to take medicine. No, I'm not saying that. Please take your medicine. But what I am saying is that the ultimate condition that we all suffer from can only be healed by one thing, and that is the gospel. The human condition is the greatest threat to people's possibility of actually being healed from sin. Now, what is very interesting here is that in verse 14, Jesus runs into this man again. Now, John records it all in the same chapter, but it could have been days. It probably could have been weeks. But Jesus runs into this man again. And when he sees him, he tells him, see, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. What? Jesus is speaking to a man with a changed condition. And when he sees that man again, he reminds him, you are well and your life should reflect that. 
What kind of life is that? That is a life devoted to him, a life devoted to repentance. Jesus even warns him that if he isn't truly repentant, that something worse could happen to him. What is Jesus saying? He said, you think that your infirmity was the worst thing that could happen to you. But if you disobey me, there is something worse that's coming. There is a worse judgment than that. So you better live a life that is reflective of your changed condition. And we know this because he tells us in Luke 13 and 5, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. He is warning him that there is an eternal penalty for disobeying God and rejecting the gospel. That is one of the aspects of what he's warning him of. But he's also telling him that the punishment of hell is worse than any infirmity or affliction you will ever experience. So what am I telling the people in this room? Listen, we... We have all been through stuff. We have all been through crap. We have all experienced things that shape us and mold us and even callous the way we look at life, callous the way we look at other people. But the gospel, the gospel can transform any area of your life. I don't care how bad it is. I believe that the gospel is the source of healing no matter how great the sin is. That's why I never, I will never be a proponent of killing anybody without their natural death occurring because until God takes them out according to his own will, we will give them the gospel till the day they die. Because that gospel saves to the utmost. But more importantly, we will always come in contact with people who want to blame other things, other people, other situations, other conditions for where they are in their lives. And listen, we, I understand that life happens and we don't negate that. These things are real and people need healing in these things but nothing will heal them but the gospel. Many people will come to us who want us to understand their pain, their shame, and their hurt, and, the, and, and think that that's the greatest cause for who they are, but we must do as Jesus does. We must always point them back to their own hearts. Listen, all of us, when we were out of fellowship with God, we simply wanted to make someone else responsible for who we are and why we were who we were. For this man, he said, look, the people walk over me. I'm overlooked. They don't put me in the pool. For some people, it may be various things. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. When we are witnessing to people, we will always see them try to redirect, but we must have the same consciousness that Jesus had to point them back to their own heart. So as I close, just understand this. There is sickness in the world. There is sickness everywhere in the world. 
But that's not the coronavirus. That's not the flu. That's not a cold. That's not this. It's not that. It's not cancer. It's not AIDS. It's not diabetes. It's not anything to do with that. We are all sick apart from Jesus Christ because of sin. So when the Bible tells us, if my people who are called by my name, he's speaking specifically here of Israel, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, but turn, he says, then he will heal their land. But the healing of their land only happens because of the healing of their hearts. Everything we see is a result of people who are riddled with the disease of sin. But for them and all of us, there is an out. There is an out. And we must communicate this to as many people as we possibly can. And this is, this is the out. This is the out. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, not ours, we are healed. Do you hear that? We are healed from the greatest sickness that we endure, and that is the sickness of our sins. He has saved us, and if he has saved us, sin no longer reigns in us. And that means, even though I may be physically breaking down, even though my mental condition may not be what it used to be, even though I can't hold things together like I used to, I have been healed from the worst condition I can possibly have. And that means one day, because I have been healed, this body, as John Adams said, that is breaking down, that has become dilapidated, that I'm going to have to move out of one day, it will be replaced with a glorified body that will never die, that will never cry. So yes, we have been healed from the presence of our sin. But one day, the Bible tells us, we will be healed even from the effects of our sins. And we long for that day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you.